When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. Sooner Sports Podcast Live. That's Toby Rowland. I'm Chris Plank. Welcome, Meg McDonald, the producer of this here TV, radio, podcast. I don't think there's a television element to it. I think it's a... More video side? Yeah. Could be TV. I need a haircut. I think after this year, it's no doubt it'll turn into a TV show. Put it on Fox Sports Oklahoma. Why not? Sure. Hey, uh, interesting press conference just wrapped up as we welcome you into the show. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for those of you watching live. Now, the whole purpose in doing this show live is for your interaction and reaction. So hit us up with any thoughts, questions, comments you had from the game. Who stood out? What have you seen that clicks? Uh, How fun is it to be rolling like this, playing your best football down the stretch of the season? And also, I mean... What a time in the Big 12 championship. What a time to be alive, Chris year. Blank. I believe there is a, 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 a Drake song that goes like that. Man, what a time you to be so. alive. So, Lincoln Riley, two interesting things came out of his press conference. Well, it was really, I mean, I learned something every week from Coach Riley. But he went in-depth on the conversation about politicking for that fourth playoff spot. Now, in the short history of the four-team playoffs, I don't know if we've really ever had just – last year was pretty clear-cut who was in. You know, there was some debate made for Ohio State, but they had the bad loss to Purdue. I think uh, Oklahoma getting in, but yeah, there was some, but not as major as it is this year, <laughs> potentially, or that we've had in about four of the previous playoffs as well. But every year there's someone politicking. If it was Urban Meyer in year one, Nick Saban in year two, there's someone that's always pushing to try to get Dabo. their team in. Dab- Dabo, Dabo now for some reason that I haven't figured out. I, 
if, unless he's worried about them losing. If they lose, he wants to still be in the hunt, I think. I guess that's it. But Lincoln said, hey, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to get in the politicking game. I like it. I do, too. I don't have a problem with it at all. I think it's great. No, I think it's the right approach. I don't think going in front of the cameras and trying to campaign for your team does you, one, does you any good, and two, I think it turns a lot of people off. Especially now that we've seen it for so long, right? Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think fans and media and even the people in the committee say, listen, you've got a chance to make your statement for three, three and a half hours on Saturdays on the field. That's when, you know, if you go, I can't imagine there's a scenario by which someone in that committee room goes, you know what? I wasn't going to put them in the playoff, but I heard what <laughs> I heard what Dabo had to say. And that's a good point. Change my mind. So I, I think if anything, it's the opposite. I think they respect the approach that Lincoln has taken, and it's more than Lincoln, but certainly Lincoln has taken to saying, I mean, our resume speaks for itself. Either it's good enough or it's not good enough. There's nothing I'm going to say here that's going to convince you otherwise. And before we dive into all of our points to ponder, if you will, on this Monday morning recap or Monday afternoon recap, the recruiting conversation is one that's always a challenge with this new signing date, which is now, it's not long, it's no longer the early signing period. This is the signing period. And Lincoln had brought up, you know, we, we tried to work to get a few extra days. It was shot down. There was only like 10 schools that wanted it. But, I mean, it's good to be in a championship game, and, and you celebrate it. But you also lose a full week on the road. And right. that's, that's hard whenever we're talking about how competitive some of these recruiting battles are. I see both sides of this. Uh, and I obviously, I like Lincoln's approach. And, and the, I guess they appealed to maybe get a couple of extra days. Correct. Teams that were in the championship game. He said everybody else that voted it down, not surprisingly. But, um, you know, you're missing a week when everybody else is out there recruiting because you're in a championship game. You're missing a week. The other side of that is all week plastered everywhere is going to be OU's logo and Baylor's logo and all these teams that are playing in the championship game, not to mention what television ratings they're going to draw uh, during these games on Saturday. So that is very strong recruiting as well. So I get it. I mean, it's nice to be able to go, um, ideal to be able to go to a kid's house and, and make the sales pitch and all that kind of stuff. But it's also uh, ideal to be able to say, hey, 11 a.m. Saturday, we're playing for a trophy. All those other people in your living room right now aren't. They're not. Hey, guess what? Turn on the TV. There we are, right? Hey, we're on the bus. We're calling you. We just won a championship. So uh, interesting challenge, but good stuff from Lincoln Riley today. And a reminder that if you missed any of the press conference, we have it archived for you at Soonersports.tv and, of course, on the Sooner Sports Podcast at Soonersports.com slash podcast. Well, let's get after it, shall we? Bedlam, all about Oklahoma. The Sooners win the game by a final score of 34 to 16, exactly how we thought this game would go, right? Low scoring, ground and pound, but in those elements, it made a lot of sense. And well, the, the Sooners are just controlling the clock right now and getting those timely takeaways. They're very Big Ten-ish <laughs> right now, you know? Uh, we mentioned this on the show earlier, the uh, press conference show, and I think we talked about it Saturday night, but the Iron Bowl was Saturday and it was 48-45, and Bedlam was Saturday and it was 34-16. My, how times have changed, right? <laughs> Uh, I thought it was the best all-around performance for Oklahoma all season. Defensively, they continue to just suffocate teams down the stretch. I mean, their defensive numbers the last three games, especially in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter, have been off the charts. Time of possession, points, yards, takeaways, all of it, third downs, have been spectacular. And this is the time of year you want to peak. 
and their ability to turn it around in the middle of the year when it looked like they were slip sliding away defensively. To put their foot down in the second half against Baylor and say, we're a better defense than this. And they have been increasingly better from that point on the rest of the year. So they were fantastic. I mean, this is an explosive Oklahoma State offense. And they held them to 16. They gave them one touchdown all night on the opening drive. They took the ball away two times, should have been three times. They stopped them on fourth down twice. They held them to 0-4 the second half on third and fourth downs. Very, very impressive. And then on the other side of the ball, I mean, it's Kennedy Brooks and it's Jalen Hurts, and it's a little bit of passing game sprinkled in, but for the most part, they are leaning on that offensive line and wearing teams down as a game goes along and just, you know, kind of anacondaing you in the second half. They're not letting you breathe. You know, on the field, you don't always get the – don't get me wrong, I love watching the game from the field, but you don't get the perspective to see some of the work that they're doing on the defensive line. And I'm watching some of those highlights and, and having watched just a few of the highlights so far before I rewatch the game later today, that defensive line was moving guys back mm-hmm. consistently all game long. And that opens things up for your linebackers. You saw Buki with some good open field tackles. And then even maybe whenever you have a guy that was blocked, like was that David Aguebu <laughs> when Drew Brown was trying to block him on the reverse whenever he gets out there and just takes him down? Best I mean, game he's had as a, as a Sooner. Mm-hmm. Freshman looked really good the other night, Aguebu. Best game maybe Buki's ever had, yeah. including, you know, he didn't have a takeaway, but he was all over the place. And then Parnell Motley had one for the ages. Well, let, let's talk about Parnell Motley, shall we? Because the senior cornerback, if you go back two years in this game, was benched. He was taken out of this game yeah. two years ago. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they played, maybe it was Trey Brown. Maybe maybe they started using Jordan Thomas again. Might have been started using Jordan Thomas Trey again. Trey Norwood as well, I think. Trey Norwood. And he ended up coming back in and, and, and playing the rest of the year. Had a big stop against TCU in the Big 12 championship game. But you talk about going back to the scene of the crime, if you will, and what might have been one of his worst games as an Oklahoma Sooner. He went out and played maybe without a I don't want to say without question because, I mean, I don't grade film. But at least in my eyes and from my optics, his best game is a Sooner. You see the stats. He forced two fumbles, had one pick, should have been two, and had six tackles, Toby. This is a cornerback getting in there and being physical and making plays. He's had – that was a great night. It should have been three turnovers. He forced the one that he recovered. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that guy's playing with a lot of confidence right now. He really is. That is what you want out of a cornerback. You've got to have it out of a cornerback. He's put together a very nice career, and he's got six interceptions now, and I think four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, 30-some PBUs in his career. He's had a really nice career, and I know he's had some moments where guys have gotten behind him, and Sooner fans have been frustrated with him. But you know what? That's going to happen if you're a cornerback. And he has responded here late in his career with some fantastic play. And I don't doubt he'll be in the middle with some things this week, too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then you see what the example that he's setting for guys like Jaden Davis coming up. There's some young guys that we haven't seen this year. The Woody Washingtons of the world who are going to be major difference makers, we hope, down the road. You see this guy setting the example and having – I talked about this with Roy Manning last week in our final Coach's Corner, and it might be a fan trying to sound like Coach speak, but he's got a very solid short-term memory now. And I don't know if that was always the case with Parnell, but Toby, if, if a bad play happens, that doesn't become the story. That doesn't dwell. That doesn't become an issue. 
You look, you look really good. I mean, just not the defense or more than just the defensive team effort. That individual effort was something pretty special from Parnell Motley on Saturday night. Made a difference. They're going to need it again because Denzel <laughs> Mims and Fleeks and all those guys are talented for Baylor. Football's the best, isn't it? That was awesome. That was amazing. Now, go do it again next weekend. <laughs> it's, it's like our, our Diamond Sports. Like, man, we had a great game. Pitcher uh, pitched a seven-inning shutout. She looked amazing. Now she's going to throw again tomorrow. But that's, that's the mindset, right? Yeah. Congratulations. You were amazing in Bedlam. Now go win the Big 12 championship against this bevy of receivers that Baylor has. We'll get to that coming up here in just a bit. But let's talk about a, a switch that's been flipped, if you will, for this Sooner running game, and maybe specifically Toby Rowland. Kennedy Brooks. Now, obviously, you wish Trey Sermon was still here. Dinged up, done for the season. We've seen flashes from Ramondre Stevenson. Haven't seen a lot of T.J. Pledger. But maybe the main reason why is we're seeing something special now from Kennedy Brooks over these last four or five weeks. Yeah, and I think you saw it last year, too. It just took him a while to get going this year. And he was also sharing carries. And, and honestly, they weren't running the ball a lot first half of the season. Everybody, I mean, we discussed it on this show about Brooks and Sermon getting to the end of the day and only having four or five carries apiece. And so here we go, second half of the season. This is what's working. Running the ball, leaning on the offensive line, and they just keep going after it. I think the thing that Kennedy, the strength that he has, and I don't know that this will show up in an NFL combine. It'll be very interesting to see at the end of his college career. But he has tremendous patience and a real knack for knowing how to play off of blocks. He's fast, and he takes care of the football and all the things that you want out of a running back. But he understands, whether it's that guard tackle pull, whether it's a zone play, he understands where his, blockings, where his blocking is and where potentially that means the opportunity is going to be for him. And then the ability in the middle of a run to alter the game plan, if you will. Look at it here, just waiting behind a block. And he, he didn't dart, he just waited for the, the path to clear, and then he snuck through it. Before you know it, it's 15 yards downfield. Does it, corner's not there, he turns it up. That didn't look like much, but that's four yards on first down. Here he is, now he's got to turn on the speed to get to the corner, does, turns it up. There's another chunk of yards. I mean, he just, he always gets at least three and, and sometimes 12 or 15. And it's just, it's, it's, so it's pretty, there's a stiff arm, so he runs with power. It's, it's pretty, but it's, it's fluid. It's not Barry Sanders spectacular, but man, he's effective. I thought, and again, in watching these highlights, the offensive line was so good on Saturday night. RJ Proctor had to run a mile. Yeah. Whenever he's pulling on those, on those tackle, tackle pull. pull plays. But here's some numbers real quick on Kennedy Brooks. Since the Kansas State game, which we, we don't talk much about, three carries, two yards. He went for 132 on 15 carries and a touchdown against Iowa State. 18 carries, 93 yards in a game to where the Sooners didn't really run the ball all that well in the first half and it exploded in the second half. Against TCU, 25 carries, 149 yards, six yards per carry, and he was seven yards per carry in that 100, as you see on your screen right there, 7.3 yards per carry in the touchdown on Saturday against Oklahoma State. I think uh, as you look at the game this week as it pertains to Kennedy, that defensive front for Baylor is, I mean, they got a lot of strengths to this team. That's one of the biggest. Bravion Roy in the middle is a massive human being. And James Lynch, the first time they played these guys, did a really good job of trying to deal with that um, uh, the mesh point that Oklahoma has mm -hmm. on the run pass options. 
And they were able to mess it up a few times. They were able to wreak some havoc in the Sooner backfield. He was specifically. So OU's ability to block up that, whether it's the guard tackle pull or just the run game in general, is going to be uh, pivotal on Saturday. We're going to talk about Baylor in a second, but you threw this note on Twitter. So let's go circle back, talk about the defense. And do we have to give credit to Stats Kelly? Sure, yeah. We All get right. to give credit to we Stats get, Kelly. We get to. That's right. By mm -hmm. the way, Stats Kelly really, really had to burn his saddle over it not being called Lewis Field. We talked about that a lot on Saturday. Oh, my gosh. And then he tweeted about it as well, too. Did he? Stats Kelly is our statistician on the radio broadcast and dropped these numbers on our defense, on the Oklahoma defense in the fourth quarter. Total yards for Oklahoma offensively. Uh, last three games. Last three games. Did I say all season? You Sorry. You should okay. specify. Just, just specify. Last three games. Fourth quarter, Oklahoma's offense, 384 yards. Opponents, 73. Time of possession, 33 minutes and 35 seconds. The opponents, 11 minutes and 25 seconds. Sooners have had three fourth quarter interceptions in the last three games. They've held opponents to 0 for 3 on fourth down and one of seven on third downs in the fourth quarter. That's impressive. It, that's partly offense and partly defense there, but it is just complete domination. I mean, it is keeping the ball, running it, uh, possessing it for almost the entirety of the fourth quarter. You know, 20 minutes more than their opponents over the course of three games in the fourth quarter alone. And then when the defense is on the field, not giving up anything, no third down conversions, no fourth down conversions, 73 total yards in three games between those three opponents. It's been fun to wind. One of those was Baylor, obviously. We're talking about Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma State here. Now, um, can they yeah, – yeah. I think Baylor partly went into preservation mode because they had the big lead right. in the second half and then partly felt the walls caving in around them and said, uh-oh, we can't blow this. So I think they'll come out with a different attitude on Saturday. I think they're excited to get another shot at OU. But, and the bottom line in those numbers, as you mentioned, credit to the offense. They're doing – you know, Gabe, Gabe kind of fires back on that they're doing something different. His point is they're still just missing on some big plays. You know, there's still a couple plays that you look back and you think, ooh, okay, going back two weeks ago, the long pass to Charleston Rambo. This week I think there was a, an attempted bomb to CeeDee Lamb that just missed as well too. So they're close on still having those explosive plays, but when they don't get them, it's not all or nothing. They're getting back right. and grinding away, and they are controlling the fourth quarter. It reminds me a lot of when Trey Sermon came onto the scene. Just give the ball to Trey Sermon. He'd churn out the clock. I mean, the yeah. Ohio State game, now it's He's almost the closer. A, the clo now it's like the entire offense is a closer. Mm -hmm. And then when the defense comes in, it makes plays when it needs to. And I wonder how much of that, too, goes back to that theory slash idea that Alex Grinch and Brian Odom and Roy Manning came in with numbers. We're going to play a lot of guys. So that way, when we're heading down the stretch of the season, we're a little fresher. Now, I think as time progresses, they want to have 22 you know, to where you're constantly rotating game one through game, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever it is. But there are guys that, you know, had to play 80, 85 snaps back in the day every single game that have been rested a little bit more this year. That might be reaching a little bit at no, this I point in the season. No, I think that's part of it defensively. And I think the other part of it is the health of the offensive line. You know, oh, they yeah. first half of the season had a different group every game. And finally, you know, they got healthy and they got the right guys in there. And it's been R.J. Proctor the last couple of weeks. But that is now a well-oiled machine up front. And it's not a bunch of guys trying to figure out their position. It is each of them knowing their job, which is why you see so many big chunks in the running game as well, which is why they're able to melt away the clock in the second half if they've got the lead. 
So, I, listen, it's Lincoln. So, I would not be shocked at all if we come out of Saturday and Oklahoma throws the ball for 450 yards and it's the, it's the passing game. that You know, Baylor did not see C.D. Lamb the first time. They did around. not. So, he could be a major difference. I don't think by any means it's set in stone Oklahoma's going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. He's more than happy if it's working through the air of, of that, you know, being the way he goes. Well, that gets us to the Big 12 championship matchup Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Toby and I will be on the air with the Sooner Radio Network at 9 a.m. to get you ready. It's Baylor. It's round two. It was 31 to 10 last year. Last, well, what am I saying last year? A couple weeks ago when the Sooners put forth an incredible rally. If you've kind of lost tabs on Baylor since then, they dominated Texas. They dominated Kansas last week. They're playing really good football and bouncing back from that tough loss. And I think you've talked about it a lot with James Lynch. And this is a team that has overcome losing the quarterback of its defense. Clay Johnston was their Kenneth Murray. And he got hurt right before the Oklahoma game, a couple games before it. And they've been able to rally well. Some of their younger guys are stepping up defensively. But this is as hard of a hitting team, as good of a tackling team, as I think we've seen so far this season. I think of the three Big 12 championship games since the game's revival that this is the best opponent Oklahoma's faced. I agree, yeah. TCU two and years Texas, ago. And Texas had beat them, too. Texas uh, last year. But I think this Baylor team is the best team Oklahoma will have to face in Arlington if they're going to, you know, try to get to a college football playoff. Defensively, they are they, they're not overly complicated in their schemes, and I don't mean that to be a diss. I just They rely on their players, and they go hit you. And Teddy Lehman who we go to for all things defense, says it's the best defense that he's seen Oklahoma face in the last wow. several years, period. Not in the Big 12, period. And that includes Alabama and Georgia and anybody they've seen in the uh, postseason. He, he raved about what Baylor is doing on the defensive side of the ball. And then offensively, I, I, it's, you know, I think that they're just solid. They got Charlie Brewer, who is a tough kid and makes plays for them. They've got Two really nice running backs in Lovett and Hasty. They've got a slew of guys who go get the ball for you and Mims and Platt and Fleeks and Thornton and on and on and on. They got a big tight end who's a good player. So there's just not any holes in the in the Baylor team. They're solid offensively. They're beyond solid defensively. They're smash mouth. So um, it would just be interesting to me to know what kind of a attitude they walk into Jerry World with. You big know, how are they shaken by what happened in the second half? I don't think so, because look at the way they played the last couple of weeks. I think that they're, you know, kind of drooling over the opportunity to get another shot at Oklahoma, and they're embarrassed by how it went down in Waco. By the way, you saw Gary Bohan and their backup quarterback who came in for a couple of plays. They used him near the goal line. I don't think he played against Oklahoma the last time around. But here, here was a debate that was said. Is this the biggest game in Baylor football history? Without a doubt, right? Right. I mean, if they win this game, they have a chance to go to the college football playoff. Now, there was a, you know, the first, was it the first year of the playoff that they got overlooked along with TCU? Uh, several that was years the Ohio back. State year because Ohio State destroyed Wisconsin yeah. in the Pac-12, or the Big Ten championship game. So, I mean, I'd have to look at how the season ended. Maybe there was one that was comparable down there. But, I mean, we're talking about playing for a championship here. We're talk regardless of the college football playoff, the winner of this is the Big 12 champion. So, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, and I'll just add my praise to everybody else's. I think what Matt Rule has done is unbelievable. It's amazing, isn't it? Unbelievable. I would just think two years ago they had one win, and now they're playing for the championship is remarkable. It, it, it's kind of wild, too, when you, 
<laughs> when you consider what Lincoln said, he goes, you kind of look at, we went, came into different situations. If I would have yeah. won three games or won a game three games my second year, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Right. <laughs> but, again, that's situation But he got handed Baker over. Mayfield in a bunch of, right. you know, I mean. Right. <laughs> what Matt Rule has done has been fantastic in Waco. So it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. But we know this much. The path to the four-team playoffs is a little clearer now that Alabama is out. Or at least we think they're out. What'd you say? They're going to drop into fifth to five and a half <laughs> in the rankings tonight Maybe. after their we'll loss? S- we'll see. So, uh, with the new four-team playoff rankings coming up on Tuesday night, Tiro, how does your top four look, and where do you have Oklahoma? This is if I was ranking the teams. Right, okay. Not what I think the committee is going to do. Okay. I think uh, the top three is easy. In my opinion, Ohio State has looked like the best team in the country because of their defense. And LSU, a close second, and Clemson third. And I think everybody's going to have those three teams, obviously, in one form or another. My fourth team would be... Oklahoma. Oh. And I think I would put them there by a narrow margin over Georgia and then Utah. And you say, no, duh, you work for OU. <laughs> this is the first week I would have done that. Oh, okay. And I, think if, and I think the win over Oklahoma State on the road was that impressive. If you compare the resumes of Oklahoma and Georgia, we'll just start there. Strength of schedule is almost identical. Um, Georgia's at 31, OU's at 32 in the Anderson-Hester strength of schedule. Virtually identical strength of schedule there. Uh, And I think Oklahoma's loss is significantly better than Georgia's loss. Georgia had a home loss to a South Carolina team that ended up winning four games. Is that right? So now Georgia's got a chance to just, you know, make this null and void if they go beat LSU in the SEC championship game. But for right now, and, and Utah is a very good team and may very well get that fourth spot in the end. And I would not throw a hissy fit over that at all. I think that they are a deserving team. It's a really good football team. Strength of schedule is at 75 for Utah as compared to Oklahoma 32 and Georgia 31. So um, you you got to look at how to make a case for Utah. You've got to throw aside the resume and say it's based on the eye test alone, which is fine. That's why we got human beings in the room and not computers. But if you're not, if you're just going to go on eye test, you can make a case for Utah. If you're not, if you're going to include all factors, uh, wins, losses, strength of schedule, conference, all that kind of stuff, for me, Oklahoma has slipped in front of Georgia for that four spot right now. I, I don't hope, think the committee will do that. I, I, I don't either. I think the committee will have Georgia at four, Utah at five, OU at six. Um, Dave Bar two college football matrix um, brought up a really good point earlier, and it's it's a situation if you believe. In strength of schedule, top 25 wins, in quality wins, basically the resume, then you're going to put Oklahoma at number five, if you believe in that. So I think that's what's going to happen tonight. Here's quickly my top four or five, and then we'll get to your questions. But I think Ohio State plays one. This is one of the first years, I think, that we've had a big-time debate over who's one or two or three. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all agree that they're likely in two of those three, probably even if they lose but who's won them? So I've got Ohio State one after what they've done the last two weeks, followed by LSU, Clemson, and I think they'll keep Georgia at four, but I do think the Sooners will be there at five, and I think that's going to be huge heading into the You think that's weekend. what the committee will do? I think that's what the committee is okay. going to do tonight. That would be huge because if OU gets in front of Utah this week right. and beats Baylor, who's probably going to be at seven, mm-hmm. I don't see any way that you then move Utah back in front of them. If, you, if OU gets in front of them now and wins, 
then I think they're safely in front of Utah. Your only worry then is Georgia. I agree. And that would be the same thing we were worried about last year. But Utah <laughs> looked really good Saturday night. They did. That's the problem. Now, they had a much easier team, and they were playing them at home, but they dominated. So it would be hard to move them down. And in, uh, Oregon, I don't think, is going to be a pushover in the Pac-12 championship game. All right, let's hit some questions, shall we, before we get out of here. And the first one is from uh, Cash Beecham, who writes, What's up, guys? Is up, Baylor moving – Cash, by the way, great baseball player. Uh, is Baylor moving up so many spots last week, the committee's way of justifying OU jumping Utah if they win? What was the term they used? Something – a, a corrective move when it came to Baylor? Well – no, I don't think there. I don't think that much thought is put into it. I don't think people say, you know, weeks from now we want to do this, so let's do this now, so we can do that then. I, that's not the way it works. I've talked to Joe enough to know that there's no scheming that is going on in that room. I think they, like a lot of the country, came slow to the realization that Baylor's really good, and I can't blame them for that because right. Baylor went through a stretch in the middle of the season where they were getting. Not getting lucky, but they were beating teams by a point, two points. They got lucky on the Texas Tech game. Remember the right. silly snap thing? So they were escaping week after week. And I think there was a question in the eyes of many, rightfully so, how good is Baylor really? And the last few weeks with the way they played against Oklahoma, with the way they played against Texas, with the 61-6 to thumping they put on Kansas, I think the committee and everybody around the country has gone, all right, they're legit. So I don't know that it was anything – sneaky that was being done. I think it was just the committee coming to the realization and, frankly, Baylor getting better yeah. as the year went along and, and deserving where they are now. I like the black helicopter theory. I think it's all about moving up Oklahoma. I think Auburn might be six tonight to move up Alabama. No, I'm kidding. In all reality, you're right. I, I think everyone was slow to, to realize, man, Baylor's really good. Yeah. And sometimes it might take beating a team like they did Texas a couple weeks ago, regardless of the fact that Jim Moore Jr. doesn't watch the games. Okay, time for one more question before we get out of here. And they've been great so far today, but we're running out of time. Linda writes, do you think we'll ever move to an eight-team playoff? I do. I'm not, in, I'm not necessarily for it. I go back and forth on this. But I think the day it will come when we will go to an 18 playoff. There will be yeah, an SEC team that gets left out that felt like they should have been in or an Oklahoma this year or somebody. And, and the groundswell's already there. You just need some of the big boys to jump in. And I think there will be a day when the money is, is too much to turn down and we will see an 18 playoff. Right now, I slightly favor the four-team. I think it should be really hard to get in, and it is really hard to get in right now. But it's, it would not be easy to get in an 18 playoff either, and, man, that would be a lot of fun. It would be. It would be. It would be um, wild to see what they would do with the first couple of rounds. I've been a proponent of maybe looking at six – with giving, with giving the, your top two seeds a mm. buy, but then again, we're getting into too many games and that whole conversation. But I do think, and I think that's why you see so many big games scheduled in 2024, 2025, and beyond, is because I think the realization of we're going to expand, we need bigger power numbers, let's go play some of the big boys. Maybe that's just wishful thinking, too. See. Hi, right, buddy. Good job. By the way, Toby Rowland, one of the questions was uh, how much weight has Toby lost? I'll tell you what it is. It's all that work that uh, Jen's doing right now is what it is get you down the LBs. Essential oils? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> or, or, or how about this? The dude had a needle in his back, what, probably like four hours ago? Uh, less than that, yeah. 
and he's still here talking Sooner football with you. Great stuff, T-Row. Great job, Meg McDonald. Thank you guys for all the questions. This is our last scheduled live podcast, but I urge you all to go subscribe at Soonersports.com slash podcast. We have daily updates throughout the rest of the football season. And enjoy the Big 12 Championship. 11 a.m. kick will be on the air at 9 a.m. on the Sooner Radio Network. Until then, have a great week, and Boomer Sooner, everybody.